Oh, beloved Satguru, come and meet me. My soul is longing. This is the bhajan Ji Satguru Pyareya Milo Menu on page 174. I don't realize your doing, but you have united me with God. I am full of bad qualities. I have no good qualities. But you yourself took pity on me. When you took pity on me, grace was showered and I met the beloved Satguru. Nanak says, I will live only if I get Nam and my body and mind will blossom. Oh, beloved Satguru, come and meet me. My soul is longing. Bhajan of Guru Arjan Dev on page 174. Jisat Guru Pyare Amilo Mehenu Jisat Guru Pyare Amilo Mehenu Tara Sarehi Janahe
Satguru, come and meet me. My soul is longing. Our next bhajan is on page 279. Rabi alaka laka shukar manava. 
Oh Lord, I'll thank you millions of times if I ever meet my beloved again. I am somewhere, my beloved is somewhere else. It doesn't look like I'll meet the beautiful one. If he would listen to the cry of my heart and come at least once, I would follow him like his shadow if I ever meet my beloved again. What have you done to me? Oh, separation, go away from me. You have afflicted my life with such a big disease. Tell me, what have I done wrong to you? I would lay down my eyes on his path if I ever meet my beloved again. Why did he take his eyes away from me? My nights I spent while remaining awake. I would show him the wounds of my heart if I ever meet my beloved again. If I meet my beloved husband, I would bloom in happiness. I, the homeless one, might get resettled somewhere. I would meditate upon the address of his love if I ever meet my beloved again. Oh, Lord, I'll thank you millions of times if I ever meet my beloved again. Bhajan of Bulishah on page 279. Yada mila jaye, Rada laka laka shukaramanava, Rada laka laka shukaramanava, Jekadinera, Yada mila jaye. Rabalakalakashukaramanava. Dilla de kuka sune o shala, kita ika bari hi ajave. Oda bana ke me fida pada chava. Oda bana ke me fida pada chava. Jekadimera yada mila jaye, Rabalaka laka shukaramanava, Rabalaka laka shukaramanava, Jekadimera yada mila jaye. Rabalakalakashukaramanava. Ki mere nala 
heart of Mary Oh, 
December 12th, God willing. Today I wanted to do something a little different. Um, This is what I am holding is the complete set of page proofs minus the front matter of Sanchi's latest and presumably last book, um, The Rescue of the Virus of Bhagradas. And I thought I could read selections from this somewhat arbitrarily chosen. And it is also possible that I have uh, neglected to include some of the things that I wanted to. But reading this book, I've been working on this book off and on for over 20 years. Uh, Sanchi gave these talks 20 years ago, actually more than that. He began in February 24th, 1989, which was 20 years ago last February. And uh, from the beginning, it was supposed to be a book. And he mentions that a number of times in the course of the talks. And it was supposed to be me that put the book together. He mentions that also a number of times in the course of the talks. And uh, it has just taken forever and it's partly my fault, and it's partly the fault of many other people's circumstances. It's like it's impossible to pinpoint why it has taken so long. I certainly share some responsibility for that, and I can't explain why. It may be that he wanted it, this is the time when he wanted it done, I, I don't know. It may also be that there were negative forces pushing, which... Uh, got some of us, including me, in their ambit. I don't know that either. I've been living with the book a very long time, but reading it over this past month, from beginning to end in one thing, the way you read a book, um, I was overwhelmed by the power of it. And the stuff that Sanchi covers in the course of this book includes many, many aspects of the path from a very interesting kind of point of view. Uh, in which the paradoxical nature of the path of the universe of our practice is borne out. And I, this will become clearer, I think, as we go along. But the, uh, um, the main tension is between, on the one hand, the forgiveness of the master, which is stressed throughout, On the other hand, the responsibility of the devotee to follow the master's instructions and the fact that he gets or she gets punished or 
I don't know if punished is the right word, but the consequences of our actions do not go un... Uh, un uh, they, they don't get eliminated. And at the same time, the emphasis is on forgiveness. So this is the main paradox, but there are many others. And I will try to do them all justice. I don't know when the book will be out still, but it should be, relatively speaking, soon now. Relatively speaking, soon. There are still some odds and ends, mostly in connection with the front matter and the pictures to be dealt with. So I'll start by reading a selection, fairly hefty selection from chapter one, in which Sanchi lays down, again, another of the paradoxes and talks about the basic reason for being, the raison d'etre, as it were, not that I can speak French, but whatever, however you want to pronounce it, of why he wants to give out this particular book at this particular time. He says this first chapter is called The Churning of the Ocean, and it refers, this is also referred to in the Anurag Saga, uh, the churning of the ocean of of existence at the beginning of creation. He says, all the saints have the same experience. In their writings, all the masters have written the same things, that whatever karmas we do, we ourselves have to pay off the consequences of that. God Almighty has no enmity towards anyone because he is the ocean of love. But whatever we sow, we ourselves have to harvest that. So whatever karma we do in the present lifetime determines and decides our pralabda or fate karmas. That is to say, for future lifetimes, of course. Master Sawan Singhji used to say that our fate karmas are determined long before our body is created. And according to them, our good health, sicknesses, wealth, poverty, happiness, pain, profit, or loss in this life are determined. All those things happen at the appropriate time, but they are determined long before. Guru Ramdas Ji Maharaj has written that even meeting the Master happens if it is written in our fate. And also whether we will have complete faith in the Master in this lifetime or not, whether we will act according to his instructions or not, whether we will become a complete one, a perfect one in this lifetime, or whether we will have to come back into this world again and again, all these things are written in our fate and they happen accordingly. He writes, one gets to meet the master only if it is written in his fate. The darkness of ignorance is removed with the grace of the master. Only if it is written in one's fate, one gets the precious jewel and one gets to do the devotion of the Lord. Nanak says he gets the precious diamond and goes back to the real home only if it is written in his destiny. Master Sawan Singhji used to say it is all predetermined. Our coming to the satsang, our developing faith and devotion in the master and in the satsang, it happens if it is written in our fate. He used to say as long as our eyes are closed, 
we may say that we are going to the satsang or we are doing the meditation. But when our inner eye is opened, we come to realize that it was not because of our effort that we were coming to the satsang and doing the meditation. It was that power who was bringing us. Tulsi Saab says, first our pralabdha or fate karmas were made and then our body was created. Further, he says, this is a very amazing glory, but this mind does not understand it. In the beginning of the satsang, I would like to tell you a story which I have told you many times before. Once there used to live a very rich trader, a miser. He had two sons. He never wanted to go to satsang, and if his children wanted to go to satsang, he would always stop them. He would say, no, it's not for you. It's not good for you to waste your time and energy in the satsang. So he didn't do any devotion of the Lord, nor did he allow his children to do the devotion of the Lord. After some time, when he became old and sick, and it was time for him to leave the body, his children thought, all his life long he has not been doing any devotion of the Lord, and he has never allowed us to do any kind of devotion of the Lord. But now when he has become old and sick, we should convince him to go to Hardwar and do a little bit of devotion and spend the rest of his time in the remembrance of God. In those days, a number of great rishis and munis lived in Hardwar, a city on the Ganges River at the point where it comes out of the Himalayas, and they did a lot of devotion of the Lord. It was considered to be the holiest city in India. Nowadays, people go there as if it were a fair, and there is no devotion of the Lord left there. I should say, however, that Master Kripal liked to go to Hardwar, even so. Uh, there were some yogis and sadhus who were there, and he liked to see them and talk with them and give them prashad and so forth. I was accompanied him several times to Hardwar, and I always enjoyed it very much. Beautiful spot. Mountains are nearby, and the river is on the plain. Uh, he also used to say that it's nothing like as holy as it used to be, by the way. So they requested him, Father, all your life long you have not done any devotion, you have not gone to any satsang, and now when you have become old and sick, we think you should go and spend your last days in hardware. And that way you will get some peace of mind and it will be good for your soul because there you will be able to do some devotion of the Lord. Even now, people send the ashes of dead bodies to be immersed in the holy water of Ganges and Hardwar. So Hardwar is still considered a holy place. People believe that if you immerse your ashes over there, you get to go to the heavens. So they gave him all these reasons to go to Hardwar, but he didn't want to go. And he said, well, you know that in Hardwar, all those rishis whom you call the good holy people, really they are deceivers and thugs, and there are so many beggars there. There's no way I can go there. I don't want to go there. Everybody tried, but he was very adamant, and he never went. But you know that death never spares anyone. When his time came, he died. And his children thought, since our father did not go to hardware even once in his lifetime, now it would be good if we could take his body to hardware and do the cremation there. 
because they were rich and they wanted their father to go to heaven to get the liberation, that is why they were thinking in these terms. So they invited all their family members and they told them, we will be taking our father's body to hardware and we will do the cremation there. So everyone came and they brought a coffin into which they put the dead body. In those days, there weren't any good means of transportation, so they had to walk. So they walked to Hardwar. But on the way, they had to stop one night in a rest house. And while they were there, they spoke about their father and how it was good that at least one good karma would be written in his account, that he was cremated in the holy place of Hardwar. In that rest house, there was a leper who was tired of living there because not many people were coming and he was not getting any money. He had heard that in Hardwar, many people go and give lots of donations. He thought, if somehow I could get to Hardwar, I would get more money and it would be more comfortable for me to live there. But since he was a leper, he could not walk and he did not have any way of reaching Hardwar. So he thought of an idea. Why not remove this body from the coffin and get in it myself? They will take me because they won't know that I have removed the body. So the leper removed the body from the coffin and lay down in it. Next day, when all the people in the coffin came to Hardwar, they called a pundit and told him to perform the final rites and rituals and do the cremation. When he opened the coffin, he was surprised to see a person moving his hands and limbs, and the old man's family was astonished at what had happened. The leper told them the whole story. He said, I was in a very miserable condition there in the rest house, and I heard you people talking about bringing this coffin to hardware, so I removed the body, and in his place I have come. And I appreciate very much that you have brought me here. Thank you. Those people were very surprised. I have to say that I once was present when Sanchi told this story to the satsangat at 77RB when they used to come and have satsang at the ashram every night. And he was he told her, of course, in Punjabi, and Papu did translate, but when he was telling this story, the, the, the sangha was breaking up. I mean, it was just enormous waves of laughter were rolling back and forth across the, across the hall. Those people were very surprised because that old man never wanted to go to hardware when he was alive, and now he was dead and he was still not there. But because they wanted him to get the liberation, they sent two people to that guest house. They took two horses, and on one of them, which belonged to that old man, they tied his body. You know that everyone is afraid of a dead body. That horse also became afraid and ran back to Saharanpur, the family's hometown, with the body of the old man on his back. When he got there, people in that city were surprised to see the dead body of the old man coming to the city. The other family members also followed the horse and also came to Saharanpur, and then decided that since it was not the fate of the old man to be cremated in Hardwar, it would be better to do the cremation in Saharanpur itself. So they cremated him in Saharanpur, and then they thought, well, it's okay if he could not be cremated in Hardwar. Let us send his ashes. Even now, people do this kind of rite. They collect some of the ashes, some of the bones left over, and they send that along with some donation money to Hardwar, 
And there they do the rites and rituals and they put those ashes in the holy water of Ganges. This is also considered to be one of the religious acts, which in a way ensures them that the person who is dead will get the liberation, or at least that he will go up to the heavens. So they called a pundit and told him, take this to Hardwar. We have already been there and we cannot go again, so take it on our behalf. They gave him money and clothes to donate to others at Hardwar, and the women gave him some ornaments and gold. Now that pundit thought, if I take this jewelry all along the way, the dacoits may attack me. So why don't I take out all the gold things and put it in my home? It was meant for a donation. Then he thought, well, since I'm doing this job, it's like they are donating this to me. So he took out all the gold from the ashes, and also he left all the clothes which he was given for donating to other people. He accepted it all, and he took it to his home. While he was gone, he tied the bag with the ashes to the branch of a tree, and he left some money with the ashes in the bag. While he was gone, a person who did the work of cleaning and sweeping came there to cut wood from that tree. When he saw that money, he thought, well, this is good. I should take this. So he took the money, and he also took the piece of cloth in which the ashes were wrapped, and he spread all the ashes everywhere. He had a shirt made from that cloth. When the pundit went back to the tree, he was surprised to see that nothing was left. But he thought, well, maybe someone has taken them, and when he sees the ashes, he'll make sure that they go to hardware. So the pundit was content, and he thought, well, my job has been done, so it's fine with me. After some days, the same sweeper who had taken the money and the piece of cloth went to clean the house of that traitor who had died, and his daughter-in-law recognized the piece of cloth, which was now in the form of the shirt that the sweeper was wearing. So she asked him, where did you get that shirt? So he told her how he had got the shirt. Then the pundit was asked, did you really go to Hardwar and put the ashes in the holy waters? The pundit had gotten a letter from the other pundits in Hardwar acknowledging the ashes and donations, but it was all fake. At first he made some excuses, although no excuse was convincing. But he was a learned person after all, and finally he said, Look here, dear ones, you tried all your life long to send your father when he was alive to hardware, and it didn't work. And then when he died, you collected all your relatives and you tried to take his dead body there. Even though there were so many of you, still you were not able to do it. So how can you expect an old man like me to take him to hardware alone when you people couldn't get him there alive or dead? So the meaning of this story is that if it is not written in our karma, no one can do the devotion of the Lord and no one can even go to the holy places. A var, or writing, of Bhai Gurdas is presented to you. Bhai Gurdas was the son of Guru Amardas' brother. He was the uncle of Guru Arjan Dev Ji Maharaj. He witnessed the reign of many Sikh gurus, and he was always present whenever the masters passed. He was very devoted to the masters. Guru Ramdas had two more sons besides Guru Arjan Dev. The eldest son was Prithichand, and the youngest was Mahadev. When Prithichand came to realize that Guru Ramdas was not going to make him his successor, 
Instead, he was going to make Arjun his successor. He started fighting with Guru Ramdas. So Guru Ramdas lovingly explained to him, Dear son, you should not fight with me. This is not something which I can decide. It is the work of God Almighty. Only God Almighty can decide who continues to do the work of God. It has nothing to do with me. I cannot appoint anyone. It is the work of God. God alone decides. God alone sees which vessel is receptive, which vessel is fit to continue doing this work. It is not good for you to fight with me because I am your father and you are my son, and it is not good for a son to fight with his father. But Prithichan did not listen to Guru Ramdas. Bhai Gurdas was given the honor of putting the Guru Granth Sahib into its final written form when Guru Arjan was compiling it. And Guru Arjan said about his writing that while the Guru Granth Sahib is the treasure of spirituality, the vars of Bhai Gurdas is the key to open that treasure. He said that for followers of this path who want to know the teachings of the Guru Granth Sahib, it will be very important for them to know and read the vars of Bhai Gurdas. Baba Sawan Singh used to comment on the writings of Bhai Gurdas, who is considered to be the Ved Vyas of the Sikh religion. And Ved Vyas, of course, among other things, was the ancient Rishi who arranged the Vedas, the Hindu scriptures, in their final form. That's what Ved Vyas means, by the way, arranger of the Vedas. When the storm comes, even the deep-rooted trees get uprooted. It is a very difficult time. In the same way, when the perfect master leaves the body, the time becomes very difficult for the dear devoted souls. Because you know how, when the master leaves the body, people get divided into different groups and parties and start calling themselves the real ones or the true ones, and they criticize and condemn the existence of the other people. And you know what kind of turmoil is created and how very difficult it is when that happens. So Bhai Gurdas saw all this when Guru Ramdas left the body. He witnessed all those painful times. Prithichand was a very influential person. He did not accept the will of Guru Ramdas and the mastership of Guru Arjan Dev. And since everything was in his hands, he controlled all the property, he was able to influence people. And those poor people who used to go to Guru Arjan Dev, there were people who knew about Guru Arjan Dev and went to him, were being harassed by Prithichand. He would fight with them and tell them, well, I will see if you can go there, and I will also see if your master is able to continue the work. So Bhai Gurdas did not like what Prithichand was doing. Bhai Gurdas was the uncle of Prithichand. He was the uncle of Prithichand, Guru Arjan Dev, and also the third brother, Mahadev. And for him, as his nephews, all three were equal. So he tried to explain to Prithichand that what he was doing was not good. He told him, look here, O son, this was the gift of God. To whomever Guru Ramdas pleased, he gave that. You should not fight about this. You should accept the will of Guru Ramdas. 
But even though Bhai Gurdas explained to him in many different ways that he should stop what he was doing and should not be such an egotist and should not be so hard on the people, he did not want to listen to him and he did not change. So because Bhai Gurdas was affected so much by the behavior of Prithichand and what had happened after Guru Ramdas left the body, he thought of writing these vars so that he could explain to Prithichand and to others also what happens to people who do not do the meditation and who remain in their ego and pride in front of the master. Bhai Gurdas saw the condition of Prithichand, who had lived so close to Guru Ramdas and had done so much seva, but still had no color of Guru Ramdas on him and no humility, and he was inspired to do this writing. And I'm going to stop there for the first chapter, which continues on in the same vein. And he also explains at the end how he came to talk about this or to start this book on this particular occasion, which happened to be the 13th anniversary of the date in which I met Sanchi at 77RB for the first time. And Sanchi was remembering, he says, the the condition of the Sangat at that time, how they were fighting with each other and uh, forming parties and so forth. I mentioned the tension between the... uh, the responsibility that we have for our own behavior and the forgiveness of the master, both of which are very real, both of which are right. And there are a number, there are all kinds of points throughout the book at which he goes into this. But I want to say, and also another thing, I was present in India when these first nine chapters were given. Uh, Again, it was very powerful. And much of them, there is quite a bit of time which Bhai Gurdas talks about the manmuks and how bad the manmuks are, okay? And uh, many of the people in the group at that time got very depressed. They thought they were manmuks and they thought Sanchi was talking to them. And I didn't feel that way, but I really wasn't sure what to say. Anyway, this was brought to his attention somehow, and he finally said at one point, listen, you people are not manmooks. He said, I'm not, this is not aimed at you, and you will see that it is not as we go along. And in fact, Bhai Gurdas explains later that actually he's talking to himself, that in fact all of the things he says about manmooks apply to him, And he also makes a number of points about how ultimately even the manmuks are okay. And this is, this is what he says here. This is, this, this, now this follows a number of paragraphs and verses from the hymns in which manmuks are really, uh, you know, you get the impression these are really bad people, okay? After flowing into the Ganges, all the rivers, canals, and drains which God knows, especially in India, but even here up until very recently anyway, God knows what kind of things flow through the drains and get into the Ganges. 
All the rivers, canals, and drains become the Ganges. People go to 68 places of pilgrimage and worship the gods and goddesses. Now he says, Sanchi says, that just as there are many different rivers, rivulets, small canals, and drains, and when the water of all of them flow into the holy river Ganges, the water of all those small sources is also called the holy water of the river Ganges. In the same way, the Manmuks, those who go to the places of pilgrimage, those who do the rites and rituals and other forms of worship and devotion, they go on doing all these things, but in the end, when they come to the master, all their deeds and all their acts are also considered as the deeds of worship of the master. So that the master's forgiveness is like all-inclusive in such a way that um, there is no... It's like we don't have to... Whatever we have done is subsided or subsumed into the final result. When we come to the master, it's like it's understood that all of those things that we have done in the past, we didn't know. And from the point of view of someone looking at us, it may be that we were very misguided and very mistaken. But whatever it was in our life, once we come to the master, it's counted as devotion to him. That is why in an autobiographical memoir type book that I am working on now, I go into a lot of detail about my time spent as an evangelical devotee and also study for the ministry in a Bible college. And it's been very clear to me for a long time that that was also part of my seeking and part of my path. I mean, the path is a continuum. As Master says, once the longing, Master Kripal used to say this a lot, once the longing to meet God arises in one's heart, that cannot be stamped out. And from then on, basically, everything that happens to us is in accordance with that. In other words, we will be able to use, no matter how bad it may seem when it's happening to us, the fact is that it will be used on our behalf and uh, it will be counted. This is, I want to read a brief section from chapter 5 called Only the Masters Know. This is a, on a somewhat different subject, but it is. Uh, it has come to me, uh, I mean, many, many things are covered in the course of the book, but this has to do with the the central position of a particular sin. And that's the whole point of the story. So there was once a king named Baj, who was a great scholar of Sanskrit. And in his court, he had many learned scholars. Once it so happened that a question came into the mind of King Baj, and he wanted to know its answer. The question was, which sin is it which is like a swamp? so that if a person gets into that sin, he cannot come out. He asked his people about that swamp-like sin, but nobody was able to reply. There was one very learned person in his court who was kind of the chief of all the others. When he was asked, he was also confused. He tried his best to satisfy the king, but he was not able to convince him with his answer. So the king told him, 
I want this answered to my satisfaction as soon as possible, otherwise you will be punished severely. So that chief became very worried. When he went outside, he saw a shepherd who noticed his worried demeanor and asked him what the matter was. The scholar replied, I'm worried because my king has asked me this question, which sin is it which is like a swamp, and I don't know the answer. I have tried my best, but the king is not convinced, and if I don't satisfy him, he's going to punish me or kill me or do whatever he wants to me. That's what I'm worried about. The shepherd said, well, that's a very simple question, and I know the answer. So the chief said, well, why don't you tell me? That way I could get release. He said, I can give you the answer, but you know that if you want someone to do something for you, you have to pay him. So if you want to gain knowledge from me, it is a question of knowledge. If you gain knowledge from me, you have to become my disciple. And if you become my disciple, you will have to do what I tell you to do. So that chief said, all right, I'm ready to become your disciple. He belonged to a very high caste, and the shepherd was a low caste person, but he really wanted the answer, so he agreed. But the shepherd said, well, no, it's not that easy. In order to become my disciple, you will have to drink sheep's milk, because I raise sheep, that's what I have, and you will have to drink it. The chief replied, you know that I belong to a very high caste, and we don't like even like to touch sheep, what to speak of drinking their milk. It's very bad, it will spoil and ruin my religion, how can I possibly drink it? So the shepherd replied, all right, it's up to you. If you don't want to become my disciple, if you don't want to get the answer to your question, then don't drink the milk. The chief realized that he had made a mistake, and he thought, well, maybe after drinking the milk, I will do some repentance. So he said, all right, I'll drink the milk. But the shepherd said, well, that was my condition then. Now that time has passed, so that condition is no longer valid. Now if you want to become my disciple and get the answer to your question, you will have to drink contaminated sheep's milk from which both I and my dog will drink before you. Not only that, you will have to drink it from a human skull. Now that chief said, well, that's too much. How is it possible for me to drink milk contaminated by both you and your dog and out of a human skull? The shepherd said, well, this is the condition. If you want the answer to your question, you can have it. So the chief thought, well, since I'm going to repent anyway, I'll do it for everything. So he drank that milk, and then he asked for the answer to that question. The shepherd did not have any long explanations to give him. He said, well, dear one, you did not understand. The answer to your question was right with you. It's very simple. Greed is that sin. Greed is that swamp. If a person gets stuck in it, he cannot get out. Because you were greedy for the answer, you agreed to whatever conditions I put in front of you, even though they flew in the face of your religious beliefs. But you didn't care because all you wanted was the answer. Greed is the only thing which, if you get into it, you can never come out. The biggest reasons why people criticize others are greed and egoism. Egoism causes us to criticize, and beyond that, we have greed because our interest is not being fulfilled. We become jealous of the other person, and from that jealousy, criticism is born. 
But the thoughts of those who do the meditation of Nam and go within are exactly opposite from the thoughts of the critics. They have conquered egoism and they never allow jealousy to be born. Before jealousy is created, they have easily conquered it. There is a story told of Prophet Muhammad that once there was a person who used to envy the Prophet very much because he could not understand why so many people were following him. He was always jealous of him. Once it so happened that Prophet Muhammad, accompanied by one of his sevadars, went to a marketplace, and that same person who envied him was there. As soon as he saw the Prophet, he started calling names at him and shouting nonsense against him, but Prophet Muhammad just kept quiet. He did not respond to the names or the shouting. The Savadar who was accompanying the Prophet was surprised because he was not responding in any way. He was just quietly listening to what the other person had to say. The Savadar said, why don't you answer him? You know what he's saying is not true. But Prophet Muhammad kept quiet. You know that even a person who shouts or calls names at others has a certain limit. So when that limit came, that person quieted down and said nothing further. Then Prophet Muhammad told his Savadar, Dear one, now you go and ask him if he needs anything and if there is anything I can do for him. I will be very happy to serve him. That Savadar was very surprised because all the Prophet had gotten from the critic was abuse. But instead of abusing him back or trying to punish him, the Prophet was offering his seva. He was astonished because he did not realize how humble the beloveds of God are. Sheikh Farid also says, those who slap you with their arms, never beat them with your fists. Those who come to your home, always kiss their feet. Often such things happen in the lives of the perfect Mahatmas. In the time of Baba Sawan Singh, people belonging to a particular sect set up a place right in front of the Dera and did everything they could against him. But Baba Sawan Singh did not reply to their criticisms or abuses. Instead, he would invite them to have food in the langar, and he used to say, Dear ones, since you work so hard, you might be having some difficulty getting food or other things. Here we have the langar of the master, and you are welcome to eat here whenever you want. Only the Mahatmas who have done meditation, the perfect Mahatmas, have this kind of heart. Only they are the ones who can love the critics. You know the condition of the rest of us, how we are always ready to answer criticism even when it is true. Sometimes we are ten times more powerful than our critics. And... There were several other things that I would have liked to have read, but I'm going to finish with what, in my opinion, is the central chapter of the book, the one to which I have given the title of the book, namely The Rescue. And uh, it's a short chapter. It's actually the shortest chapter of the book, so I'll read the whole thing. It won't take terribly long. It's of the utmost importance and I think ultimately it pinpoints, zeroes in on the nature of the master, who the master is and what the master does when everything else is added up or accounted for. He says, an addict loves an addict, 
A gambler loves another gambler. A drunkard loves another drunkard. In the same way, those who do the devotion of Nam love those who also do the devotion. You have read a lot in Sant Bani magazine about how God came here to this place. Uh, that was the underground room. This particular, the talk that this chapter is taken from was given at the underground room, which is why it's shorter. A God who had a body, who was speaking and functioning like other human beings, how he came down to this place himself and quenched the thirst of this poor soul. People of all religions, whether they are Hindus, Sikhs, Muslims, or Christians, know and believe that liberation is only in the name or nam. But they do not know what nam really means, what nam really is. They do not even know where we can get nam. In order to become successful in this human birth, in order to become connected with that nam, which is the cause of liberation, we need two things which are very important. The first and most important thing is meeting the perfect master. The devotion and faith of the disciple also play a very important role in making one successful on this path. Just as in the world, in order to become successful, we need skill, competence, sufficient wealth, and things like that, in the same way on this path of the masters, a disciple needs to work very hard and have faith in and devotion for the master. One does not need to leave his home and his belongings. One does not need to leave his family and go outside into the wilderness in order to become successful on this path. Nor do the saints make us attached to any particular kind of outer appearance. While living in our home and tending to our worldly responsibilities, we can easily do the devotion of Nam. We people work wholeheartedly in our worldly careers, and we always give that work prime importance. Even though we may be tired, we always want to do our worldly work, and we enjoy doing worldly things. But when it comes to doing spiritual work, our devotion to the Nam, we become lazy. We put our spiritual work in second or third place and give first place to the worldly work. Nor do we stop ourselves from indulging in worldly pleasures. We say that it is natural for us to feel all that. It is a natural act and we should get involved in it. So we neither stop ourselves from indulging in worldly pleasures, nor do we put much attention or wholeheartedness into doing our spiritual work. So even though we may be on the path all our life long, because of our lack of devotion, our not putting our whole heart into doing the devotion, we remain shaky on the path of the masters. Master Kripal Singhji used to say that you should not give food to your body until you have given food to your soul. He used to say that the food of our soul is meditation. He also used to say, no doubt, Truth is above all, but higher still is true living. A brief hymn regarding King Janak is presented to you. King Janak was a very reputable king in India. And along with his being a king and doing his work as a king, he was also a great meditator, a perfect saint. 
Even great rishis like the sons of Vedvyas had gone to him and had taken him as their master. He attended to all his responsibilities as a king, but at the same time he also did his devotion. Kabir says, just as a camel cannot climb a castle and a ball cannot stay on a camel's back, that one can do the devotion of God while being a king, how can it be believed? Earlier I have told how King Janak did his meditation. Many masters have said a lot about the way he became perfect in his meditation. At his end time, when he left this world, the Lord of Judgment himself came down to take him as Dharma personified. And as he was being taken by the Lord of Judgment to the higher plains, on the way he heard screams and cries. So King Janak asked the Lord of Judgment, what is all the screaming and crying that is going on? The Lord of Judgment replied, these are the screams and cries of those souls who, when given the human birth, did not utilize it for the purpose for which it was given to them. They did all kinds of bad deeds. Now they are being punished in the hells. They are screaming and crying because they are getting punishment from the angels of death. Now you know that those who do the devotion of Nam become very compassionate and have a lot of mercy and grace for others. Whenever they hear the cries or screams of the people, their hearts melt. So King Janak's heart melted, and he felt very compassionate towards them. He said, why don't you release them all from the punishment of hell? The Lord of Judgment replied, I am a child of the indestructible being, Almighty God, and I am under orders only to do judgment. It is not in my capacity to release them. I have to give them punishment for the bad deeds they have done. I cannot release them on my own. So then King Janak offered, Well, whatever you want me to pay for them, I am ready to pay. But you should release them, because I don't want them to go through all that punishment. So King Janak offered his meditations. He placed on one side of the balance a little bit of the nam that he had meditated on, And on the other side of the balance, he placed all the souls who were in hell. But still the side of the balance where the nam was placed was heavier. So it is said that just by giving a little bit of the fruit of the meditation of King Janak, he was able to release all the souls from hell. Those who do the devotion of nam get so much power and so much grace that even if just one person does the meditation of Nam, he can release millions of screaming and suffering souls from hell. Master Kripal used to say, what a man has done, a man can do. It is not that only King Janak could do the meditation and we cannot do it. He used to say that we have also been given the same Nam. We have been connected with the same Nam. And we also can do the meditation of Nam just as King Janak did. Kabir Sahib also said, if we can maintain the devotion all our life which we had for the Master on the day we met him, if we go on doing our devotion like that, then what is the question of getting our own liberation? We can liberate a million others as well. Because you know that when we go to the Master on the first day, we have a lot of devotion and faith in him. 
So if after receiving initiation we can maintain that faith and devotion and go on doing the meditation as instructed by the Master, we can not only liberate our own selves, we can also become a means of the liberation of millions of other suffering souls. And then he picks up on the hymn. King Janak was the foremost devotee. He was a gurumukh who remained sad even though he had so much wealth. Bhai Gurdasji says that the foremost devotee was King Janak. Even though God Almighty gave him a lot of maya, worldly wealth, still it did not make him happy because he knew that he had to go back to his real home. King Janak set off for the divine worlds. On his way, he saw the angels and spirits living in happiness. When he went to Jampuri, the plain of the Lord of Judgment, he heard the screaming voices of the resident souls of hell. Now he says that when the Lord of Judgment came along with other gods and goddesses to take him, and he was being taken back to the real home along with gods and goddesses, on his way, he heard the cries and screams coming from hell. In order to release them, to rescue them from those sufferings, he went to hell. He stayed there. King Janak told the Lord of Judgment to release all of them. The Lord of Judgment begged and said, I am a servant of the indestructible Lord. He told the Lord of Judgment, Why don't you release them? Why are you giving them so much pain? So the Lord of Judgment replied, I am just a servant, a savadar of that indestructible being, and I can't do anything else. King Janak placed his nam on the scale and paid off all the sins. The sins were too much for them, but even a small amount of his nam was more than was needed, as the nam of the Gurumukh is beyond any measure. Bhai Gurdas says that King Janak told the Lord of Judgment, I am giving you a little bit of nam, and you can weigh it like you weigh ornaments. So it is said that when he weighed that little bit of nam, it was still heavier than the numerous sins of the souls who were crying. All the souls and beings were liberated from hell, and the noose of Yama was cut from their necks. The liberation and the practice to achieve it are slaves of the one who meditates on Nam. There is so much power in the Nam of the Gurumuks that it broke all the chains with which the Lord of Judgment had tied up all the souls in hell. They were all broken by the power of the Nam of the Gurumuk. So that is why Bhagavad says that liberation lies only in the meditation of the Nam. And that's what I'm going to stop reading today, but I would like to mention that there are a great many things in the book. The Master Never Goes is the name of one of the chapters, and in it, Sanchi makes the point. Even if the, if the Master leaves the body the day after he initiates you, he never leaves you. He is always with us. This is a question partly of time. It is just like we say, well, why was King Janak the only master who did that? How do we know that he was the only master who did that? In my opinion, reading this book over and over, meditating on it, thinking about it, all masters do that. 
It is a continuing process that the, the stream of mercy, which we have direct connection with because of our direct connection to the Master, is continuously flowing into this otherwise self-contained circle of judgment, reward, and punishment. And in through that comes the stream of mercy and love, which knows, and this is another point that Satchi makes in the course of the book many times, that it's not anyone's fault. At one point he tells the story of a king who had a hundred wives, and most of them had children, but a few did not. And Bhagurdas says that it's not their fault that they don't have children. You can't blame either the king or the queens because it was in their fate that they weren't going to have. And there's nothing they can do about it. They can't be blamed. And Sanchi makes the point from that that we are not to blame. This is along with saying that we've got to, you know, be good. I mean, we've, got to, we've got to follow the master's instructions and so forth. But if we don't, we are not to blame. And the master is the forgiver. And I, you know, have had so much personal connection with the master as forgiver that that's the prime way that I see him. And I, I mean, certainly both Kripal and Sanchi rebuked me many times in the course of my time with them. And sometimes some of those rebukes are very, very sweet to me in memory. But including, which Sanchi mentions in the book uh, on the first day that I met him when he rebuked me. But that rebuke was sweeter than a million smiles to me because through it I saw Kripal just as plain as day. Sanchi treated me as though it was the day after I had last seen Kripal and nothing had happened in between. That was the, the, the continuity was perfect, you see. And nothing could have been more pleasing to me than for him to treat me as though he was Kripal, which of course he was. So even though he rebukes us and, and things happen to us as a result of our actions, okay, it's certainly we're not immune to that rule. The fact is that underneath the master knows it's not our fault Fundamentally, human beings in all forms of life are trapped in Kyle's universe through no fault of their own. And all of the faults, the punishments, the rewards, the judgments, all that stuff that we pile up, what we call our karma, all of that is very real within the confines of Kyle's world. But when the stream of mercy, of love, comes pouring in from outside that closed universe, closed container of the universe, tiny, by the way, container of the universe compared to everything else, when that stream of love comes flowing in, it annihilates everything. And that is my my personal experience with the Master, is how enormously he forgives, how willingly he forgives, how happily he forgives, and how he continues to talk about the Master leaving you know, I, Yogi Bhajan said, he wrote me, actually, a letter after Master Kripal left the body, and he said, uh, those who say that Kripal Singh is dead, good luck to them. And truthfully, that's the reality. Kripal has not gone anywhere, Sanchi has not gone anywhere. They are here. 
They are within us and we have access to them. Nobody can keep us from that. We don't need, we may have something else, but we don't need anything. That's the reality of it. Our master is all-powerful. He is the master of Nam. He is the giver of love. And we have access to that. And no one can deny us that. Only ourselves. Only as we turn our face away from him can, uh, can we ourselves deny ourselves that which he wants to give us. So we should never forget that, people. You know, our master is not such a master who is only functional when we can see him with our physical eyes. He is always there. He loves us. As Master Kripal said to me one time when I was in India, if those people over there knew how much I loved them, they'd be dancing in the streets. And we would. Well, if we really understood the kind of love, the kind of love that allows King Janak to liberate every single soul from hell, regardless of what those souls have done, you see, Throughout, there is so many stories of people who do heinous things. I often have told the story of the money lender who uh, had not one good deed in his credit, and a master took the trouble to carry his stuff on his head for an hour while he talked to him and told him how to avoid going to hell. And why? What had that guy ever done? He hadn't done anything. He was a, rep, a disreputable, a wretched human being. But the master loved him because he was, God was in him. There's a story of the guy who used to ambush people on their way to Salan Singh's ashram at the Dera in Bayas. And he would, he robbed them. Sometimes he drowned them in the, in the moat or the creek, the river, that, the Bayas River that was there. And uh, eventually, Salan Singh, he repented. And what did Salan Singh do? He initiated him, and he became a sevadar. And there are tons of stories like that. What people have done, the master, once they recognize that they have done something wrong, the master not only forgives them, but he gives them opportunity to go more. So it's the kind of thing that people, Sanchi tells a story also in this book, and this is the last thing I will say. Uh, when Kripal Singh came to his place at uh, Kunichak in Satsang and Ganganagar, that there were two people, among others, there were many people, but two people in particular came for initiation. One was a Hindu, a uh, very good man, very respected and well-liked, and uh, whom everyone admired. And another was a prostitute. And they both came for initiation, and Kripal accepted the prostitute and told the, the Hindu man to wait. And this was set up in groundswell in the town. What on earth is he doing? Why is he, this man is so, everyone loves him and he's so great and all like that. And then here's this other lady, this, this wretched excuse for a human being. This is the way they were thinking. But Sanchi said he knew the prostitute. The prostitute had heard him, her, her place of business was not far from Sanchi's ashram, and she had heard satsangs over the loudspeaker a number of times and had become very interested. And she asked people to take her to Sanchi's ashram, but um, nobody would. They were, didn't want to be seen with her. Finally, she came herself, 
and talked to Sanchi and asked him what was going on and, and, and Sanchi said, well, my master is coming very soon, Master Kripal. If you want to see him, you will be very welcome. And she did want to see him and she came and asked for initiation and, and the master gave it to her. No questions asked. He just gave it to her. And she left off being a prostitute. And as Sanchi said, she became a very good person, uh, respected by all. But there were no, it was not that she had to, you know, promise anything with a, he, he just knew it. He loved her, he forgave her, and in that forgiveness, she found the strength to do things differently. And I don't know what happened to the Hindu guy. Um, he probably, because Master never really turns anyone down, ultimately, um, he probably got sooner or later. Sanchi doesn't say. Anyway, the mystery of the path is the mystery of love. Love is the core of the universe. Love is where the power to function, to operate the universe comes from. You know, it's like we see it through the filter of judgment, of reward and punishment, of birth and death, of time, of of a linear straight line time kind of thing. All of that is the way we perceive it because we're stuck in it. But the master is outside that. And he is very well aware because he is the, he is the reservoir or the conduit through which it's coming. The forgiveness that he brings is ultimately what is the point of everything. And it is what we have access to and it is what we should claim it's our own. His forgiveness and his love is ours. And we have the right to claim it. And it is also anyone with whom we can share it. Because it's our responsibility to share that love and forgiveness that we have got from him with everyone around us. Magnificent path, people. Our masters are... It is such a great thing that... You know, this, what we have been shown and what has been explained to us and what we have been given, that uh, we could spend, it's like millions of lifetimes praising the Master and never coming anywhere near what we're talking about. That's a great, great, great thing we have been given. We should never, never forget that. We can hear the tape if we have I've been talking a lot, but... कितने प्रेमियों की सहूलत मिलेगी कितने खाना खाएंगे जिना तंबू वगैरह की सेवा करी या और लोगों के ठहरन दी या नाउन तोन दी को जरूर महाराज सावन कहंदे हुंदे सी जब बंदा बंदे दी मजदूरी नहीं रख रखदागा कि ओ साली भगवान मजदूरी रख सकदा है नहीं को जरूर दंदा है बिना मंगया दंदा है बिना बोलया ओ साली सुनदा है यस्टरडे व्हेन आई वेंट अराउंड दी आश्रम I saw all the things very carefully and I was very impressed. I am very grateful to all of you for doing all the seva which you have done here. And I was very happy to see my beloved Lord working within everyone. I have seen all the arrangements done outwardly and inwardly also. The Master knows everything what you have done. So I was very happy to see all what has been done here and I was very glad to see the dear ones also working very hard over here. Just imagine how many people are going to get how many people are going to benefit from all the sevas which have been done here. The people who are working in the langar, they were working very hard. And just imagine 
that the people who will come here when they will get fed with all the food which the dear ones are making in the langar, how they will feel and afterwards when they will go and sit in the meditation and all the things that have been provided for them over here when they will use all those things, how comfortable they will be, how convenient things will be for them and that will encourage them to sit more in the meditation and you will also get the benefit from it and Master Saun Singh used to say that in, in such kind of congregations when we do the seva we should not think that we are not going to get anything paid for all the seva we have done he used to say that when a worldly employer does not keep you unpaid do you think that Almighty Lord your master will keep you unpaid whatever you have done for the master for the dear ones you will definitely get paid for that and he appreciates all what you have done for the master and for the dear ones and you will be rewarded suitably Guru Peg Bahadur Vipas Ek Bostara Rehish Admi Aya Onada Isse Tara Dasta Sangda Arrangement Dekke Jho Premiya De Rahesh Vaste Jaga Bnaai Si Kain Lagya Ke Saadu Santan Aisiya Jaga Ki Loda Bnaon Di Kyo Bnaon De Hai Kade Vaste Bnaon De Hai Jho Saadhi Hoge انہوں نے کی لینا ہے کسی جگہ تو وہ چپ رہے خموش رہے وہ شبد روپ گرو نے جد رات میں نظارہ دکھایا اس راجے نے وہ ایک شیر بھی جون ہوئی تھی باہر چکھڑ ہو گیا اولے بڑے جبردست پیرے سی ان کو جگہ سرل کو انہوں نہ ملی اور آجہ ایک شیر دے کوہرنے وچھ جا وڑیا حالانکہ انہوں پتا سی کہ شیر دا کوہرنا ہے جگہ ہے لیکن موت تو ڈردہ انسان کی نہیں کردہ اور جا شیر دیکھیا او دے پہ پیت ہو کے او سی اکھ کلی جاگ آئی کمبل لگ گیا صبح آکے کہنے لگا مارا ہے جی مرات سمجھ گیا سفنے دے اندر کہ ایک ہی ہے کہ آئے گیا واسطے ارام واسطے ہے سادو ادم کر لیں دے ہے پریمی لوگ آکے فیدہ اٹھا لیں دے ہے اگر جے میں نے شیر دا پورنا نہ مل رہا تو میں وہ چکھڑ تو بچی نہیں سکتا سیا بے شک کو شیر دا جگہ میں نے نجر بچا رہی سی بھی سو پیارے ہو سنت پریمی آواستے ہی سارا کچھ سنگت تو پریر کے کراؤں دے ہے کہ سنگت آئی گئی آرام کرے انہوں نے شبدہ ملے جاتے جاتے پجن ویاس کر سکے ونس ویلی پرسن گیم ٹو گرو تیک بہادر اور ایک دیت ٹائم گرو تیک بہادر واس ہولڈنگ ستسنگ لائک دیس ستسنگ پروگرام لائک دیس اور وین دیت ویلی پرسن کیم اور ہی ساو آل دی ارینجمنٹس ویچ ویر میڈ فار دی دی ایونس فار دی to do the devotion of Lord because when you have become a sadhu and when you are going to see a sadhu why do you need all the worldly comforts and all the worldly things Guru Tegh Bahadur did not reply to his question he just kept quiet that night Guru Tegh Bahadur in the form of the Shabad gave him a very wonderful experience which answered his question and which explained to him that why the masters have to arrange for all these kind of things why they have to make places for the dear ones what happened was that he saw himself in the form of a king 
who had lost his way in the jungle, in the forest. And uh, suddenly there was a very bad storm and he did not have any place to go. So finally he came across a cave-like thing and he knew in his heart that a tiger lives there, but still he did not want to die. So he went inside, he escaped from the storm. And in that way, when he saw the tiger over there, he was so terrified that he woke up. And then he realized that why do the masters make this? And those who contribute in making the places for the comfort of the dear ones, what do they get? And how it protects from the other vices and other dangers of the world. So then he came to Guru Tegh Bahadur. He fell at his feet and he said, that, Master, now I understand that why the saints have to make things like this and why they encourage the dear ones to do the seva and to make such things. And what we get, what kind of protection we get from such places. Bhajan is Shah Kipal Yariya on page 51. Beloved Shah Kapal, wait a moment. We are weeping over our fate. Listen to our sorrowful matter, O Lord. Listen to our sorrowful matter. The beautiful one is present within all, but no one has known his secret. We have kept you in our heart. Give us your strength. Even gods and goddesses want you. Even the moon and sun feel embarrassed before you. Beloved of Shah Sawan, do not forget us even for a moment. The emperor is the treasurer of the true Nan. You are the giver, we are the beggars. We have lost our heart making requests. Remove the pain of separation. This soul without honor makes this request as your abode is in such kind. Beloved, give us your radiant darshan now. Don't delay it even for a moment. This world is a whirlwind. We have relied only on you. Oh, support of a jab. Don't leave my sight even for a moment. Beloved Shah Kapal, wait a moment. We are weeping over our fate. Listen to our sorrowful matter, O Lord. Listen to our sorrowful matter. Bhajan of Sanchi on page 51. <laughs> Asi ronde kare nasibanu sadi sun dar dadi gal jave o sai sun dar dadi gal jave shakir pal piyaria Sonagat 
Tera satcha kanda vicha tikanaye. Kariyadja ajivanamanaye. Tera satcha kanda vicha tikanaye. Nuri darshan deja piyariya. Kuna dera zara napala lavi. O sai sunadari lavi darajavi. Shakir pala piyariya. Atakazarani kapalajavi. Sivanu Sadi Sunadadi Galajari O Sai Listen to our sorrowful matter, O Lord. Listen to our sorrowful matter. May God bless us all. <laughs> 